good morning. It's so good to see you. Isn't this a beautiful time of year? I mean, it's just gorgeous to see the blue bonnets and the different trees blooming. It's just a gorgeous time of year. Uh, if you have your Bibles or devices, I want you to turn with me to John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 5, and we're going to get there in just a moment. And just wanted you to have a chance to look that up first. Last week, we prayed over uh, Jonathan and Amanda Ryan as they uh, were leaving for Japan. They left on Tuesday, and I shared with you that they were going to be going. Nathan and Mariah Werner were going to be coming back to the States. I I just wanted to show you a picture. They did make it, uh, Jonathan and Amanda, with uh, Nathan there. What's neat, I, I think, is just a God thing, is that uh, Nathan and Mariah and Jonathan and Amanda were sitting exactly, you know, where you're sitting. And the, God got a hold of their hearts, and now they've given their life to the nations. And I, I just love that. So when uh, Jonathan and Amanda or Nathan and Mariah come to your mind, please pray for them. Also, uh, just just so that you know, um, sometimes you don't hear or we don't put it out there enough, is that we sent a hundred Bibles this week to Latvia. Now, that sounds strange to send them to Latvia, but they're Ukrainian Bibles. And what they're happening, our contact in Latvia, they are uh, dealing with refugees coming in. So... Central was able to send a hundred Bibles in in in, uh, in that language to be able to minister to the Ukraine people that come in uh, to Latvia there, and uh, we continue to pray for uh, Benny and uh, the ministry there as they go uh, and uh, and uh, minister to the refugees. Also, Bruce and Sandy Tanner, we've been uh, connected with Bruce and Sandy in Romania forever, it seems like. Sandy passed away this past year, and uh, Bruce is still running. They have three houses that take care of special needs people. Uh, uh, almost in Romania, they were throwaway people, but Bruce and Sandy love them. They have three houses. They turned one of those houses into a a house that refugees could stay in. So, you know, it's one thing to say we pray for what's going on in the Ukraine, which we do. We pray it ends really soon, and uh, but yet uh, life is being transported, and you, because of your faithfulness, are very much involved. And so I, I say thank you for for what is taking place in that area. So if you have your Bibles. John chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 19 through verse 30, and uh, allow me to read it. If you're new to the scriptures, man, welcome. I'm, I'm so glad you're here today, but uh, if you don't have a Bible or device, the scripture will be on the board, and we always encourage you to underline and jot little notes uh, that may help you. So John chapter 5, verse 19 Jesus is speaking. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly. Now, let me say a quick thing. That's the second truly, truly. We're going to get one more. And we're thinking, oh, what does that mean? Anytime a, a word is repeated like that, it's for emphasis. So, in other words, what Jesus is saying is this is very important. Take, take ear to what is being said. 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority, Jesus, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. We're going to stop right there. You know, I've been in different prayer groups, and sometimes in those prayer groups we'll have a spontaneous time of just declaring the names of Jesus. You know, he is the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's the great healer, the great shepherd. Man, just, you know, to, to praise Jesus in the midst of our prayers. But I, I, I was thinking back. I don't remember ever being in a group where somebody says, Oh, Jesus, we praise you because you're the judge. I, I, I've never been in a prayer group. Maybe you have been in a prayer group where they said, Oh, Lord, thank you that you judge mankind. You know, it's just not in there because judgment is not something. We want to talk about the love of Christ. We want to talk about his blood of redemption and grace and all those kind of things. But the thought of him being the judge is, uh, man, is, is really a hard one for us to, to grasp hold of. And, uh, uh, W.C. Fields, the old actor, he was dying, actually, on his deathbed. And a guy comes in, a friend, and W.C. Fields was flipping through the Bible. Now, his life was anything but, but godly. And uh, the friend says, hey, W.C., I didn't, I didn't know you were a religious man. He said, I'm not a religious man. I'm looking for loopholes. And I, and I think that's the way we approach God sometimes is, God, I, I want the, I want part of what you say. I want enough God to not make you feel uncomfortable. 
but not too much that's uh, really going to bring conviction. It's like eating a piece of fish that's supposed to be boneless, but they didn't get a bone out of there, and you got to deal with that bone that's in there. I, I think that when we read the Scriptures, we're tempted to just read the, the parts that are very palatable and the, the, the things that make us feel better instead of reading everything that is truth in there. And sometimes we just dodge it and we're doing a disservice. And, and if you're new, we've been walking through what's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, we are not a creedal people. We're just using the Apostles' Creed as a guideline because we want to we want to look at what the non-negotiables are that we really believe, you know? We we have a tendency we believe certain things, but we we're not well-rounded on knowing the non-negotiables about what we truly believe. So, we're walking through the uh, Apostles' Creed and today we're dealing with this particular statement. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, let me reflect just a minute on where we come from. God is the Father Almighty. He's the creator of heaven and earth, but He's intimate Father as well. And He sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, who was 100% man, 100% God. He could identify with us completely. He was. He lived. He suffered. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. He uh, he descended to the dead, and he rose from the dead. And then last week we talked about how he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's complete, uh, completely in authority today. And today we come to the next point, that he will return, and he will return as judge. Now, that's difficult for us to grasp, but let's tackle just a moment the thoughts about Jesus returning. Let me just put it bluntly. Jesus will return one day. Acts chapter 1, which we read last week, said the messengers said to the disciples, just as you saw him ascend, there will be a time when the Son of Man will descend. He will come back. So there is going to be a return of Jesus Christ. But let me, I can't be exhaustive on all the scriptures that deal with this, but let me share some with you, and they will be on the screen, and you can just jot the address down. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. James chapter 5 verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Matthew 24, 42. Therefore be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. 
while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. I can pull out more and more Scripture, but the fact is Jesus is going to return. And He is going to return, and it will be... Uh, it will not be mistakable. You will not be able to say, oh, I think he's come over there. I think he's come. No, no. It will be visible to everyone. So let me just say a couple of words about Jesus' return, and then we're going to get to the part of him returning as judge. Number one, the scriptures are clear on Jesus returning. So if you're going to adhere to the word of God, you're going to have to buy into the fact that Jesus will return. Here's a second thought. The New Testament first century believers believe that he would, as I read it, they believed he would return at any moment. And when I read Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, I read the other letters, I believe they were living in such an anticipatory time that they expected him at any moment. They were expecting him to return. A third thought is that, just like I said in Acts chapter 1, as he ascended, he will also descend. Here's another thought. No man can fully know the time of Jesus' return. Now, we read the scriptures and, and certain people, there are various, various different views of the end time what it's going to look like. We, we all agree that it's going to happen, but really, what are certain uh, signs that may be there? And certain people uh, really love to study our political situation. Is the Antichrist alive? We, when we look at the wars and rumors of war and we look at uh, the currency in our world and these kind of things, many people seem to think that this may be a picture of the end days. But uh, they also, some people look at the climate change and the weather conditions and think, well, this is the, the groaning pains of the world longing for Christ to return and they're a sign of Him returning. I, you know, I, I do not know. I, I do know that Jesus said the gospel would be preached to all the nations before there was returning and so I, I, I'm not fully uh, abreast of everything that comes out. I read, and some of it I think, man, we got to be careful. But for me, I read 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to read it today. But go and read 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in there, you, you don't see signs in the skies. You don't see political reference. What you see is the character of men when the end of days will come. And when I read that, I think, oh Lord, we may be closer than I think. And so, but one thing I know is important. We are all called to be ready. We are called to be ready. Prepare. Keep your uh, candles trimmed, as the scriptures would say. You gotta be ready, uh, for when Christ comes back. So, it's a fact that it's gonna happen. When it's gonna happen, we need to live in preparation. We need to be prepared 
for the day that it is going to happen. But the scriptures, as I read in John 5, is that he is going to return as the judge, to judge the living and the dead. Now, we don't like to think about judge. Some of you have been really intimate, close in front of a judge. I, I've not had that privilege yet, but uh, uh, it, but some of you have, and maybe you got off, or maybe you had to spend some time, or maybe you got fined. I don't know what the case may have been for you. But let me give you a working definition of a judge. A judge is a person who is impartial decision maker that upholds the law or standard. Let me share that again. A judge is a person who is an impartial decision maker that upholds the law or the standard. In other words, they are are not just going by their feelings. So, here's some thoughts on judges. First of all is this. A judge's decision is final, especially in the Supreme Court, right? Uh, we, we believe that it's final. The, the judge has ruled. It's a final thing there. Uh, there it can be appealing, but a judge's decision is final. Here's another thought. A judge's ruling, he rules according to a standard and not a feeling. Okay? So he doesn't get in there and you're crying because you're guilty. And he says, oh, my heart just really goes out to you. I'm going to just chunk aside the law and we're going to forgive you. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. It works according to the standard. Now, the sentencing may be different, but this is what the standard is. You are guilty. Here's a third thought on judges. A judge cannot let sentimental thoughts cloud his judgment because he is accountable. Okay? So you can't have sentimental thoughts cloud your judgment because you are accountable. Now, let's, let's put that on a bigger, grander scale, okay? Jesus judging mankind. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So, what are some thoughts on end-time judgment? Well, first of all, is Jesus will be the judge. Now, I was reading in Revelation chapter 1, and uh, J- uh, John, who wrote the, the letter of the, the book of Revelation, has this incredible vision of the glorified Jesus. And sometimes we want to see Jesus as meek and humble and still hanging on the cross or, you know, whatever your picture is of Jesus. But the glorified picture of Jesus is just... In fact, John fell on the ground as though dead because of that vision he in glimpse he had. But Jesus will be the judge and all mankind will stand before him and there will be a, a separation. Uh, this will be at the end of the age. Matthew 13, 49 says this. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So 
This will be the end, end of the age. This will be the end of history as we know it. There will be this judging as uh, Jesus comes and returns. The dead in Christ will rise. There will be this gathering. Uh, I, I, let me say a word of encouragement right off the bat. If you're a follower of Christ, your judgment has already been done. And uh, that is something we rejoice in. But there will be a standing before Christ. Now, what I want to do is I want to share with you what your judgment is not based on. Okay? Your judgment is not based on these things. But you'll understand as I get into them. First of all, your standard of judgment will not be based upon favoritism. In other words, you... You will not come up there and say, man, you're my favorite. So I'm just going to take you in. Uh, you know, it, it's not favoritism. From what I understand is I think we're all his favorite. He's just able to do that. We're all his favorite. I can't figure it out, but I'm his favorite. You're his favorite. We're all his favorite. And, uh, but to me, there is no, um, uh, there is no favorites. He, he judges all the same according to his standard. So I look at it this way. Pastors, plumbers, lawyers, wealthy, impoverished, educated, ignorant, Americans, Chinese, Russians, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Michael Jordan, Billy Graham, Tom Brady, Bill Gates, Elon Musk are all on level ground. All on level ground. No favorites. So we're not going to be judged according to uh, favoritism. Here's a second one. Your standard of judgment will not be based upon your family. Um, it doesn't matter what your grandparents or, grand, uh, or your parents did or didn't do. Your great-grandfather may have been a, a preacher or a missionary or, or your, your parents were missionaries or, or you, they may have been super spiritual people. From what I understand when I read the scriptures is that there are no grandchildren in the kingdom. We are just children. So there is not a family issue. So your spouse may be a follower of Jesus, but what about you? Your parents were followers of Jesus. What about you? You cannot, uh, you cannot get in on other family members. Jesus is not going to ask you what your family believe, he, he's going to deal one-on-one. -on -one. So favoritism, family. Here's the third one. Your standard of judgment will not be based upon your fortune or your fame. Your fortune, what you've uh, accumulated on this planet. You may be secure in, uh, in, in all this world has to offer, but have no faith. There, there is no U-Hauls. Um, uh, behind hearses, we know that we can't take it with us when we go. You may have uh, not only accumulated a ton of money, you may have given away a ton of money, but if you do not have faith, it means nothing. You may have buildings named after you. You may have streets named after you or schools named after you, but Jesus is not going to ask you how much wealth you accumulated. It's not going to be, you're standing before the Lord and, and you're going to say, do you know who I am? You know, I have a street named after me. 
not going to count. It's not going to count. Your fortune. Here's the fourth one. Your standard of judgment will not be based upon your fame. Because you're known by everybody. You're an athlete who has excelled and you're known around the world. You're a philanthropist that has been known around the world. You uh, created who knows what. It, it, you will. Your fame is not going to matter. It's not a matter of standing before Jesus and saying, this is what I've done. I was known by everybody on this planet. I think Jesus will say, but did you know me? Did you know me? So favoritism, family, fortune, fame, one more. Your standard of judgment will not be based upon your feats that you accomplish. Not saying feet that you stand on, but your feats that you accomplish. Your accomplishments will not be on display. For, for you that are followers of Jesus, there will be a time of rewards that He has given. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, our works will be displayed. What's wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away, but those things that are precious will be, uh, we will be rewarded for. But our feats will not do us any good on that day. Our good deeds might outweigh our bad deeds. You see, the, the religion of our country, we think it's, we think we're not a religious country, but, uh, we really are. And the God of our country seems to be money, but the, but really it's moral deism. If somebody believes their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then God is obligated to take them in. And so what we do is we measure our good deeds by other people, and we can always find somebody that we're better than. And our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, moral deism, God is obligated to take it. And that's not true because even our good deeds are like filthy rags. Uh, and here's the deal. Jesus not only knows your actions, but he also knows the motives of your heart. Ugh. We're great actors, aren't we? But motive of our heart. And Jesus is not going to ask you about the good deeds that you have done. So your, your ultimate standard of judgment will not be based on favoritism or family or fortune or fame or feats. So what is it based on? Your standard of judgment will be based on what you have placed your faith in or who you have placed your faith in. Whom have you put your faith in? Jesus will not judge by what He feels at the moment. He will judge by a perfect standard of measure. I want to read a verse to you in Isaiah, the, the prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. He says this, So this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. 
I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Well, what in the world is he saying there? He is saying that God has established a standard, okay? The standard is a chief cornerstone. Now, it's, it's really interesting. You go to Israel and you can walk down by the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, wherever you want to call it, which was the original wall of the Temple Mount. But you can go down and you can see where uh, the stones are. They have some massive stones. And one of them was the chief cornerstone. Now, the deal about that cornerstone is the level of all of the facility will be measured by the, the, that chief cornerstone. Well, you go to the New Testament, and it says that Jesus is that cornerstone. Jesus is that perfect cornerstone that we build upon. So what is he saying? He's saying this. The standard is righteousness. The standard is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the standard. Now, he also uses another term called a plumb line. Some of you guys that are in constructions know what a plumb line is. I'm going to show you just kind of an ancient plumb line. It's a, a string or a, a string on the end is a weighted um, uh, plumb, I guess you would say, a weighted uh, measure. And what happens is, is that it hangs, it measures complete straight line. So you can measure, you notice the wall is straight because the plumb, the plumb line is straight. And so he is saying that there is a plumb line. There is a righteous standard. Now, the scriptures tell me this. It says that all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are not righteous is what it tells me. And so I've got a problem. If if righteousness is the standard, I do not measure up. And it tells me the, the wage of my sin, the wage of my being out of line, out of righteousness with God, the wage of that is death. I, it's a total separation from God. So I have a major problem. I have a major problem. If the standard is righteousness, and I look at that, and in in the Old Testament, the Jews were trying to keep the law. They were trying to keep the Ten Commandments. And you remember when the rich young ruler walked up to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts listing out some of the to-dos on the Ten Commandments. And he said, I've kept kept those since I was little. And Jesus came back and said, okay, go sell all you have, give it to the poor. Now, the guy couldn't do that because he was wealthy. We're thinking, where is that in the Ten Commandments? It's number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And he couldn't handle number one. So he understood he was unrighteous. So all of us have fallen short. We, we're all unrighteousness, and we have a God who is holy and a standard of righteousness. Because of my sin, nothing unholy will come into his presence. Nothing unrighteous will come into his presence. So I have a problem. 
God sent Jesus. Perfect man. Not a fallen nature. He lived that righteous life. And He was able to, through His sacrifice, be the ultimate sacrifice for my sin. And He was he was willing to do that because He loved me. Now, if I were to stop there, it would be like a doctor or a person who has a cure for cancer. And you come and sit down with me, and after some tests, I tell you, you got cancer. Yeah, I, I thought I may have cancer. You have cancer. Hey, let me tell you something. It's going to get a lot worse. And unless something happens, you're going to die. And then I gave you a bill for what I just told you. You would say, man, you are a jerk of a doctor to, to do that. Well, I deserve it. I, I mean, I'm the doctor. I told him I diagnosed what was going on. Yeah, but you have the cure. So you ought to be willing to give this to this person. Well, you understand where I'm going on this. Jesus has offered Himself. And anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's something about a faith step that needs to happen. Because I believe that faith is a verb. It's not something we just believe in our heads. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that I am flawed because of sin. I believe He is the way to eternal life. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe that faith is a uh, a verb. And so if I take this stool, and I've used this for you a hundred times, and I look at this stool, I believe this stool can hold me up. I believe, yep, I believe it can handle my weight. I believe it's not going to tip over. I believe that. But how do I really trust that stool? I come and I put my weight on this. Now I believe. I have faith in what has happened. You see, it's more than just having a head knowledge of who Jesus is. There actually has to be a faith step where you come and say, God, I repent. I, I turn because I know I am not righteous. I have sin in my life. But Jesus was perfect and He paid the ultimate price for, for my sins. And so, Lord, I come today in a great exchange, placing my faith in You. The question is, have you done that? Have you come to the point in your life? And I know most of you in this room, I know you intimately enough to know that you have taken that faith step. But let me challenge you to another step. What about your neighbors? What about your classmates? What about the people you work around? What about at the soccer field or the baseball field? You know, what about them? Does it grieve your heart that they, they maybe spend eternity or they come in the judgment seat, the white throne judgment, and, and the Lord says, depart from me, I never knew you? You see, it's one thing for us to have salvation for ourselves, but the harvest is plentiful, especially in a day where people are doubting and they're looking for something. One day, 
we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Our response will not be favoritism or family or fortunes or fame or feats, but to the one Jesus Christ that we put our faith in. Babe Ruth, most of us know about Babe Ruth, the great baseball player. There was a, a umpire, home plate umpire, by the name of Babe Pinelli. Babe was a name that went around, I guess. Babe Pinelli was an umpire. And they were playing one day at, at Yankee Stadium, and uh, Babe Pinelli called Babe Ruth out on strikes. He was, it was a third, third strike. He called it a strike, and so Babe Pinelli called Babe Ruth out. Well, they knew Babe didn't like it, and 20,000 people in the stands start booing. And Babe Ruth turns to Babe Pinelli, and everybody just knows the Babe, Babe Ruth is going to get ejected. There's going to be a skirmish out there on the field, so everybody's ready. And Babe Ruth turns to Babe Pinelli, and he says, Listen, there are 20,000 people here who know that that last pitch was a ball. And they're just know Babe's going to get ejected. And Babe Pinelli said this. He said, maybe so, Babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. You see, everybody may pat you on the back and say you're a great guy. And you probably are. You probably are. But the the question one day will be as we stand before Jesus, is He pleased? Have we put our faith in Him?